Well, good morning, Plum Creek. It's great to have all of you worshiping with us today, whether you're here in person or you're watching online. And I especially want to welcome anyone who may be new to our church today. We are especially glad that you're here. And I just want to follow up on that video real quickly. I want to thank everyone who has helped to support this mission trip to Guatemala. Back in January, we had our special beans and rice offering, and part of those funds went to be scholarships for students going on this Guatemala trip. Uh, But like we heard, there's more than one way to support our short-term mission trips here. You can go, you can also give by supporting financially, and then you can pray Uh, My family got on the website yesterday, and each one of us chose one person from the team to say we would pray for that one person. And it was really fun to do that as a family, and I encourage you to sign up as well. And I thank you for helping us make a difference for God's kingdom. Well, let's get back to our series on the book of Colossians. And as I get started today, I want to ask you a question, and the question is this. Do you consider yourself a rule breaker? You know what I mean by that, right? Uh, This is somebody who says, yeah, that rule right there, that applies to other people, but it doesn't apply to me. So uh, by a show of hands, anybody willing to say, yes, I am a rule breaker? Actually, I see a few there, not many. And to evaluate this honestly, I think we should probably mention a few specific examples. So I've got a couple for you. The first one is from the United States Golf Association, uh, USGA Rule 9. The ball must be played as it lies. And what does that mean? Well, that means if your ball is in the rough, you can't tee it up on a little tuft of grass. It also means if if the ball lands next to a fence or some other immovable object, you can't bump it out an inch or two. Now, this time I won't ask for a show of hands, but think to yourself, have I ever broken this rule? If so, you're in luck. I'm going to let you off the hook and move on. I have another rule for you. Uh, You might be familiar with this one. No outside food or drinks allowed. Have you ever seen that rule and just ignored it? Maybe at a movie theater? Okay, true confession here. Uh, There was that time many years ago uh, when I hit the Taco Bell drive-thru right before going to a movie, and I walked into the theater with a jacket full of burritos for me and my friends. I'm not saying it was right. I'm just saying I did it. And before you start to judge me, I have one more rule, and uh, if I didn't get you on the first two, I'll probably get you on this one. For everyone who drives, how many of us have never broken the speed limit? I mean, 100% of the time, you've been at or below the limit. This one's tough, right? I mean, you're going down a hill. Gravity takes you over the speed limit sometimes. Uh, Some people have said, this law is broken more than any other in our country. Now, we could go on with these rules, but we really don't have to. It's easy to see that we are all rule breakers. And here's why I mention this. I mention it because there's a direct correlation to our relationship with God. See, there's a serious truth that we have to deal with. God has an extremely high standard of right and wrong, and none of us 
meet that standard. None of us. The Bible's clear on this. Romans 3.23, the Apostle Paul says, All have sinned. All. And we all fall short of the glory of God. So again, we're rule breakers. And like I said, this is a, a serious truth. This is a, this is a huge problem. Here's the big question, though. How will you and I respond to this truth? What do we do with that? Over the years, I've seen lots of different responses, and I'll give you just a few examples. I'll make a list of four possible responses to this serious truth. And I want you to identify which option you relate to the most. So, first, option A. I hear some people talk like this. They say, yeah, I I don't meet God's standard, and I think I'm just too far gone. God will never forgive me. This person knows they have violated God's will in a serious way, and they have probably done this repeatedly, maybe gotten to the point where it's an addiction or even a way of life. It seems like there's no turning back. So this person says... I know that God sees me as a hopeless case. I, I am a lost cause. I have wrecked my life, and I've also wrecked the lives of others. Now, we should know that uh, with each one of the options I'll mention here, there will be a grain of truth. And here's the truth with option A. Any violation of God's standard is a terrible thing. Any violation We see that in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Uh, That verse says, because all of us have sinned, we all deserve death. And that's eternal death and separation from God. But there is good news. The rest of this response is a lie. You're not too far gone. God can forgive you, and He will forgive you if you turn to Him. More on that in a minute. For now, let's look at option B. That person will say, hey, the sin in my life, it's really not that big a deal. Over the past few decades, this response has become very common. And here's the mindset. It's like, no, I'm not perfect, but who is? I, I, I know that Jesus died for my sins, and I'm forgiven because I believe in him, which means I can pretty much do whatever I want. Now, as you look across Scripture, it's obvious that this response is not at all in line with God's will. But there is a truth here. God does offer forgiveness and grace through Jesus, and we're so thankful for that. But the no big deal part, that's a total lie. So option C, we've got just two more. Option C is, it's all about the rules. Now this person has a genuine desire to be in good standing with God. But pay attention to the wording here. It's all about the rules. This person says, no, I have not lived up to God's standard, and I hate that. So I'm, I'm going to do my best to buckle down and get it right. And hopefully, hopefully, God will say that I've done enough, and he will accept me. Now, uh, be careful here, because some people choose this option even after they give their life to Christ. They they know that salvation was a free gift through Jesus because of what he did on the cross. 
But after they become a Christ follower, they feel like, okay, now I have to keep my salvation through rule following. They're afraid that at any given time, God may look at their performance and say, nope, that's it. That was too much. You are no longer good enough for me to accept you. Now, let's be clear. Uh, God does call every follower of Christ to live a holy life, to be different than the rest of the world. But the reality is, you can't sustain your salvation by rule following. Now, if you've been in the church for a long time, you may be especially drawn to this one. Uh, But in Colossians today, we're going to see, nope, it's not all about the rules. Okay, we have one more option. It's the fourth response to this serious truth. Option D, Christ in me is my only hope. Uh, There's a lot of good news in this one little phrase, and we need to unpack this today because according to Scripture, This has got to be our response. So we're going to continue in Colossians chapter 2 today. Um, But before we get there, I want to go back and read something from Colossians chapter 1. In in verse 26 of chapter 1, we see that God has revealed a secret message. And here's what it says. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. Now, what exactly does that mean? Christ lives in you. We need to figure this out Because many people don't see Christianity through this lens. But as we'll see, Colossians will help us here. Now, we've spent the last two weeks looking at the book of Colossians, which is actually a letter. Paul wrote this letter to a group of Christians in a city called Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. And as Paul writes, he's in prison. He was arrested for preaching about Jesus and and leading people to become disciples of him and planting churches. But as Paul sits there in jail, literally in chains, he's thinking about the Christians in Colossae. He's concerned about them because a group of false teachers have moved in. And they're preaching a distorted version of the gospel. They're preaching a low view of Jesus. So Paul wants the Colossians to understand the greatness and the supremacy of Jesus. And here in chapter 2, Paul addresses a few misconceptions about the Christian life. Uh, Some of the things that I just mentioned on that list. Now, he doesn't deal with option A, God can't forgive me, because these people are already Christians. They've already uh, accepted the fact that God is able and willing to forgive any of us. But the Colossians were like many Christians today. We need to hear more about those other three options. The Colossians need to understand that when Christ lives in you, sin is still a big deal. But no, it's not all about the rules. So let's read Colossians chapter 2, starting with verse 6. Paul writes, So then, just as you received Christ as Lord... Continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, you're going to see that Paul uses this terminology a lot. Uh, Live your life 
in Christ. Be rooted and built up in Christ. He keeps coming back to this big idea. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. Now, does that sound a little strange to you? Because most people in the church don't really talk like that. We talk a lot about going to church. We might say, I'm a Christian, but it's not very common that you'd hear someone say, I am in Christ and Christ is in me. And this is really interesting. Let's do a little comparison. How many times in the Bible do you come across the word Christian? Well, I'll tell you, just three times. But then let's, let's look at this. How many times in the New Testament do, do you come across this phrase, in Christ, or in the Lord, or in Him? It's 216 times. Three to 216. The score is not even close. And you think there's any significance to that? Yeah, I, I think so. Paul tells the Colossians, you began this new life in Christ. So continue living in Christ. And uh, that terminology is important. It's important because life in Christ is not a description of what you do. It's a description of who you are. We're really comfortable with uh, the idea of going to church because that's an activity that you can choose. You can control that. It's a manageable subset in a compartmentalized life. But life in Christ, man, that's an identity. It's who you are. It's a continuous reality that affects every moment of every day. And Paul, this, this concept is not new here in, in Paul's writings. It, it comes directly from Jesus. In John 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, this is helpful for me. This, this clears it up for me because Jesus uses a visual image here, a vine and a branch. See, when a branch is connected to the vine, it's obvious. You know it. You see it. It's also obvious if the branch is broken off and lying on the ground. And this is how it works in a relationship with Jesus. You're either connected to him or you're not. That applies to Everybody here in this room, everybody watching online, everybody you've ever met, you're either connected to Jesus or you're not. You either have the, the life and the growth and the strength that comes from Him or you're severed. You're a branch that's separated and dying because a severed branch doesn't survive. But back to Colossians, Paul tells these Christians more about life in Christ. Look at verse 9. He says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Now, these two verses are huge. Did you catch the implications here? Paul says, first, let's be clear about who Jesus is. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. What does that mean? That means Jesus is fully God. He's 
not just a great teacher or a nice guy with some magic tricks. Jesus is God. And that means if you want to know who God is and what He's like, how He relates to people, just look at Jesus. But then, let's not miss that last phrase. Uh, the deity lives in bodily form. So that means Jesus is fully human as well. He humbled Himself. He became a human being. He had emotions just like we do. He got sick and tired. He was tempted in all the ways that we're tempted. However, Jesus overcame temptation every time. And He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. And because He was innocent, He deserved no punishment. And that's why He could be the one to take our place and pay the penalty that we deserve to pay when He went to the cross. He, he didn't deserve any punishment because He did not sin. So through His sacrifice on the cross, Jesus made it possible for us to find our way back to God. And in the resurrection, Jesus proved that He is who the Bible says He is. So the world has never seen anyone with the power and love and goodness of Jesus. And here's the amazing thing that Paul wants to communicate here. If you are in Christ, the power of Jesus is in you. You have access to a power that is greater than any other. And then Paul goes on to describe what that power is like. Let's read verses 11 through 15. It says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Okay, can we all just admit that is a weird sentence? What is going on there? Now, I'm not going to go into great detail about circumcision today. I'm sure that's disappointing to you. Uh, but I will tell you this. Um, in the Old Testament, circumcision was a physical act. It was, it, it was a command of God uh, that he used to set apart his people. But here in the New Testament, circumcision is spiritual. It's, it's the way that Jesus sets his people apart. So let's keep going. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision, spiritual uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, there is a lot that we could talk about here, uh, and we can't get to all of it, but here's, here's the basic idea. Paul is saying to the Colossians, it was only the power of Christ that brought you from death to life. Paul says, you guys were a bunch of dead branches. You were separated from Jesus, the true vine. But then you came to your senses, and you put your faith in Jesus, and he went to work. And then Paul looks back at the moment of their baptism. Uh, now, you should notice here, Paul assumes 
that every one of the Christians in Colossae has been baptized because baptism is super important. It's the moment when a believer identifies with Jesus. They're buried in the water, just like Jesus was buried in a tomb. And then each one of those Colossian Christians came up out of the water to live a new life, just like Jesus walked out of that tomb to live a new life. And just a side note here, sometimes I get the question, how do I know when I'm ready to be baptized? And and it's really simple. Um, When you know that you are a sinner and you need Christ, and when you're ready to put your faith in Him and you trust in Him to save you and give you this new life and, and you're ready to stop living for yourself and live for Him instead, then you're ready right now. You don't have to wait until you feel like you're good enough because it's only Christ in you that can make you good enough. Now, if at some point you have decided to follow Jesus, but you've never experienced baptism like this, been immersed in water, this is something that Jesus told us to do. In Matthew 28, uh, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and one of the things he commanded them to do was to baptize new disciples. So if you need to be baptized, we could take care of that today and you could identify with this new life in Christ. This new life in Christ is an amazing thing. But if it's so amazing, why do many people think of Christianity as just a bunch of rules, a bunch of do's and don'ts, mostly don'ts? Well, I'll tell you, if we're not careful, we can move very quickly from Christ in you to a life of just trying to follow a bunch of rules. That's been a danger throughout the history of the church. Uh, One example I think of is the Shakers. Uh, You may have heard of these guys. Uh, The Shakers were a religious group that formed back in the 1700s, and they had a community not far from us, down in Harrodsburg, Kentucky. Now, they were sometimes called the Shaking Quakers because they shook a lot in their worship services. Uh, Now, the Shakers claimed to follow Jesus, but their philosophy was pretty much Christ plus a bunch of rule following. And man, did they have a bunch of rules. Just a few. Uh, They weren't allowed to have pets. Uh, they, they, They weren't allowed to have curtains with stripes or flowers. All of their beds had to be painted green. I mean, random stuff. And then most famously, men and women had to be separated from each other. They used separate doorways and separate stairways. And there were no exceptions to this separation. The Shakers lived celibate lives. Sex was completely off limits. It was kind of like true love waits forever. (laughs) Now, it's obvious to most of us that God's plan includes procreation. Uh, So we can look at the Shakers and say, yeah, that, that was ridiculous. At the same time, though, it can be very tempting to adopt a rule-following mentality. Think about it. Here at Plum Creek, we want to see everyone take their next step closer to Jesus, whatever that is. And with that goal in mind, do you think it would help if we put a few rules in place? For example, we could make it a requirement that everyone, you've got to read your Bible and pray Every single day. And we could work up a little report that you would fill out and turn in. Think that'd be helpful? 
We can also have a, a strict policy that requires every member of the church to serve in some ministry at least three hours a week. We could also have rules about uh, what you can eat or drink. I mean, after all, your, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We need to take care of it. We could have rules about what you watch, what you listen to, how much screen time you get. You know, over the years, many Christians have tried to take this approach. And here in Colossians, Paul emphatically says, no way, don't go down that road. Listen to what he says in verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Now, in these verses, we get a, a hint about what those false teachers were saying. They tried to impose a bunch of man-made rules and traditions. They tried to tell you what you should and should not eat, uh, which festivals you should and should not attend, and if you wanted to stay on God's good side, you had to follow certain rituals. But Paul made it very clear. This was a distortion of what it means to be in Christ. And he goes on in verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why? As though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Now, this is very important. Uh, in these verses, uh, Paul says, guys, life in Christ is very different from the system we had back in the Old Testament, the law system. See, in that old covenant between God and the human race, particularly God and the Jews at that time, life was about rules, rules, and more rules. For example, in the book of Leviticus, there is an entire chapter dedicated to rules about skin diseases. That's a good read if you want to look it up later. But the law system could never bring us back to God because we can never reach His high standard. In fact, there's only one thing that the law system did well, and it was to show us how bad we are. So instead, God sent His Son, Jesus, and in Christ, we have freedom. We're free from the burden of trying to earn our way to God through rule following. In the book of Galatians, Paul says it this way, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, for some of you listening today, you may be a little uncomfortable with this. You might feel like, okay, so you're saying a Christian doesn't have to worry about following rules? I mean, that sounds dangerous. That's, that could lead to anarchy. And I hear you there. Meanwhile, others of you may be enjoying this. Like, yeah, keep talking about that freedom. I get so tired of church people being uptight about everything. But do you remember the four options we listed earlier? 
We need to understand what it means to choose option D. To say that Christ in me is my only hope. See, there is definitely freedom in Christ, but there are two ways we can go wrong here. Freedom in Christ is not legalism. Legalism is an attempt to do good as a way to earn God's favor. Now, it is definitely a good thing to try to meet God's standard. Every follower of Jesus should be doing that, but not as a way to earn God's approval. That's option C, right? Option C says, yeah, I know I was saved by grace through faith in Jesus, but now I maintain my salvation by my performance, by trying to, to, to be as good as I can. But that's, that's not how it works. It's, it's not true, and we don't want that to be true because we're all still rule breakers. I hate to say it, but several times this year, I have exceeded the speed limit which means I have broken a law of our country, and in the Bible, I'm supposed to follow the laws of our country. That's in there. So I still need God's grace. That's not the only example where I need God's grace. But Paul and Jesus, they agree we need to stay away from legalism because legalism leads to self-righteousness and pride, if you feel like you're doing well, or shame and despair, if you feel like you're failing. So legalism is not freedom in Christ. At the same time, freedom in Christ is not a license to sin. Being forgiven is not an excuse to do whatever you want to do. Christ gave us freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. And if you are in Christ, you are 100% forgiven. That's true. Your performance does not earn your salvation. And praise God for that. At the same time, though, If you are truly in Christ, you have a deep gratitude for what he's done for you. You have a deep love for him. And because you love him, you will not tolerate any sin in your life. We're not perfect, but that means you surrender to Christ over and over again. You allow the Holy Spirit to cut away every part of you that is not pleasing to him. And you wake up every day and say, I am in Christ. Praise God for that. Now, Jesus, do what you want with my life. And he will. He will transform you. He will change you from the inside out. And that's important. You you can't change yourself from the outside in. That doesn't work. You can't become uh, more like Jesus through behavior modification. That transformation only happens when you are in Christ. So ask yourself, am I in Christ? Is Christ in me? Am I connected to the vine or am I separated and dying? In the end, only the power of Christ enables you to become the person God wants you to be. I'm almost done here, but before I close, I have to ask one final question. Why should we care about this? Why should I care about becoming who God wants me to be? Because, man, if I am a Christian and I'm already forgiven, what's my motivation to change? Can't I love Jesus without going through this ordeal of becoming more like Jesus? Because that's hard. And yeah, it is hard. But let me give you the big picture. My life is not about me at all. 
your life is not about you. We want to place ourselves in the center of things, but that's not where we belong. I was created, and you were created, to love and worship God and bring glory. Whoa. (laughs) We okay back there? (laughs) We were all created for God. Remember what we heard back in Colossians chapter 1. All things were created through Jesus and all things were created for Jesus. So when you are in Christ, you become more like Jesus in order that you would bring more glory to God. When people see the power of Christ in you, God gets the glory. That's how you fulfill your purpose. That's why you're here. So before we leave today, let's unite around this purpose. Let's live a life that brings glory to God. The only way to do that is to live in the power of Christ. But we're going to put that into practice right now. We don't want to just keep this kind of general and fuzzy. We're, we're, we're going to sing one more song. It's called, I Speak Jesus. And we're going to speak the name of Jesus over everything that could hold us down or hold us back. We're going to call on him and ask him to bring victory over fear, victory over sin, addiction, depression, anxiety. We're going to speak the strong name of Jesus over any enemy of our freedom. As as we do that, let's Let's cry out to him and realize that we need his power. And I want to tell you today, if you need to call on his power to show up in your life, we got a team of people that will pray for you this morning. They're going to be down in front of the stage here after this song, after we dismiss. And I encourage you to to just find one of them and say, hey, can you pray for me? Can you pray for this person who is on my heart right now? And let's speak the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I, uh, I just thank you for the truth that we see here in your word. It's not about uh, trying to live by our own power. It's about the power of Jesus in us. Lord, I pray that that will become a reality in each of our lives and that when other people see your power working through us, that you will get more glory. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.